Welcome to the Farm Bits Podcast, a product of Nebraska Extension Digital Agriculture. I'm Jackson Stancil. And I'm Samantha Teton. And we come to you each week to discuss the trends, the realities, and the value of digital agriculture. Through interviews and panels with experts, producers, and innovators from all sectors of digital technology, we hope that you step away from each episode with new practical knowledge of digital agriculture technology. As we transition into a series of episodes on a new topic beginning with this episode, we'd like to thank all of you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. We want to make this podcast as beneficial for you as possible, so if you have feedback, do not hesitate to contact us. You can find our email and Twitter handles in the description of the podcast if you'd like to get in touch. This episode, episode 7, marks the beginning of a new series of episodes focusing on quantifying and responding to soil spatial variability. Our guest for this episode is Mike Manning, an agronomic information advisor with Premier Crop Systems. Mike graduated with an agronomy degree from UNL in 2009 and has since had a range of experiences in precision and production ag. Though he's originally from western Nebraska, he now lives in Lincoln with his wife and two children. In this episode, Mike will address several topics including data quality, soil sampling best practices, and the value of multiple spatial data layers. The goal of this episode is to transition us from thinking about yield data to addressing how digital ag can be used to quantify and respond to soil spatial variability that is often the driving force behind yield variability. For those of you who haven't heard of Premier Crop before, Premier Crop is a precision ag service provider that was founded in 1999 to enable data-driven solutions from the new agronomic layers generated through precision ag technologies. Premier Crop's platform provides the data back bone for many retail partners and co-ops throughout the U.S. and internationally. Premier Crop also offers grower-direct advising that leverages their precision data platform. In Mike's role as an agronomic information advisor, he has the opportunity to work directly with farmers to use Premier Crop's platform to drive profitability on their farms. For those of you who listened to episode 6, you may recall that we discussed profitability mapping with Terry Griffin. This week, we asked Mike similar questions regarding yield data and spatial profitability maps to get a crop consultant's perspective. One aspect of his role is helping farmers organize and manage their data to make it easier to work with. We are going to drop you into this interview with Mike talking about getting started with data management. Farmers are are generally strong, independent folks, and that's a good thing. We like that. Uh, some of them are able to challenge or tackle that challenge on their own. Uh, what we find commonly is a lot of guys need help. It's, you know, it's not their wheelhouse and it's not fun to try and keep things strict and neatly organized in a grower farm field hierarchy. You know, I, I like to joke, but it's not, I would, I would bet large money that this is very accurate, but if you were to pull up my John Deere on the state of Nebraska, the number one product that goes through a sprayer is called tank mix. The number one fertilizer would be nitrogen. So that doesn't tell me if I apply 32% urea, ammonia, anything. Uh, and yeah, tank mix. That's our favorite pre-applied chemical, post-applied chemical, foliar chemical. It's all tank mix. Uh, I really encourage grower, growers, insightful growers, they realize they have this information. They know they need to get organized. They know it has value, particularly for their farm. Is working with a trusted advisor, working with somebody that has the technical skills to support that. 
Um, Cloud-based, you know, it's having a strict farm field hierarchy and making sure things get accounted for correctly. Uh, you run into the same problem, same problem with some of the cloud solutions out there. You might have four different versions of the home farm or dad's 80 with, you know, 2014 and 2015 are under version one, the 2016 nitrogen maps in version two, but the yield map for 2016 is in version three. Uh, and it, it can be a challenge for some people to manage, you know, manage that consistency to specific field documentation, just in an, on an ongoing basis, because in the heat of the moment, uh, hey, we're in the middle of planting, we need to go. Same way with harvest, hey, we just need to go. Um, it's probably what I've seen has been most effective is just having, having a good trusted advisor that's knowledgeable and helping keep growers organized. Mm -hmm. That also ties into, you know, documentation, you know, documentation throughout the year, uh, making sure you're plugging your hybrids and varieties right into your planting monitor, making sure we're changing fields properly on the combine, making sure we're calibrated well, we're calibrating between moistures, we're calibrating between crops. Just, just kind of those little check-ins where you have, when you do have that good trusted advisor or somebody that's helping you kind of check mark your progress through the season. You know, for instance, when I pull planting maps, say middle of May, I generate, I generate those back out to the grower and, you know, you guys, the producers we're working with you know, instantly say, oh, guess what? We forgot to change. See the 20 acres on the east side of the field? We forgot to change that. That's actually this hybrid. We try to catch that stuff as early as possible. And same, you know, same thing applies for fertility and chemical. I think that's very common. Even just the farmers that I've talked to this fall tell me stuff like that all the time. Forgot to switch fields, forgot to put in the right crop, forgot to put the right header with. It's yeah, very common. So, uh, Bingo. Yep. Uh, when you talk about documentation and making sure that you have that all recorded right, what platforms or other companies does Premier Crops technology interface with? So, does it talk to JD Link? Does it talk to some of those others to make that documentation easier for farmers? Yes. So, yes, we do. We do interface with some industry. Uh, industry, other cloud services out there. We do have API with My John Deere. Um, I believe we still have API with Syngenta Agri Edge program, and maybe a couple couple of uh, other people out there. Uh, probably, and probably the most common way that we interface with the rest of the world. We generate uh, prescription shape files out of our out of our system that is kind of, you know, ubiquitous universal standard for the time being. Uh, most most controllers and monitors that have been manufactured in the last 10 years or by and large can accept uh, generic shape files. So when we talk fertility prescription going out to a controller, planting prescription going out to a controller, that's our that's probably our primary uh, delivery means. From a documentation perspective, having those having those APIs, having those connections with other people, isn't necessarily a easy button for getting documentation right. And a lot of times, telematics is just a way to move bad data faster. That's an awesome way to put it. That's true. <laughs> it, it, it really is. And that kind of is a great segue into 
where we're going with the interview now. So when you think about data use mistakes, so if we're, we're making data-driven decisions, particularly when it comes to yield data, what do you see as being one of the biggest mistakes there? For example, maybe growers rely on only one year of yield data when they're making a decision instead of multi-year averages or, for example, that that um, yield efficiency score like what you've already talked about. Or is it that they're using some of that poor quality data that we know is often getting transmitted because something was put in wrong in the combine, uh, something was getting put in wrong during planting, something like that? Yeah, hit it on the head. One year of yield data is one year of yield data. That's, that's exactly what it is. Uh, I like to say, let's triangulate. A, well, let's, I, let's triangulate data. We start observing trends in the field. Let's triangulate that over two or three years. Let's see if that's really a trend. Uh, one of the reports we generate is a uh, correlation to dry yield. What correlates to yield across the field spatially? Uh, obviously, correlation does not equal causation. In, but in a real world, field setting agronomically it's a good place to start looking or it's a good good call out to see that trend but i also want to see more information behind that to support that inference uh, well, making a decision making management zones changing up an entire fertility program or chemical program based off of one year of yield data is a, is a poor choice you might hit the lottery one out of ten and do something good but you want more information behind that before you start making major decisions that's another another aspect of having a precision advisor that can help you along the way in that process is being able to review field by field yes we can move that data quicker we still need to review each field's individual yield data classic case multiple two machines in the same field if they were harvesting in the same pattern we might have a nice candy stripe pattern because machine one is 20 bushels higher than machine two that's actually where the telematics have been beneficial because the growers I work with that do run multiple machines within anywhere from 15 minutes to an hour of them being in a field, I can pull up the map from a hundred miles away and say, you guys are off, let's stop and calibrate again. So there is some benefit of that, but it does, and don't get me wrong, there are growers out there that would want to spend the time doing it. Some, very few of them actually do, but actually reviewing, making sure that data set from each field is accurate. How much of the data collected on farms today would you consider actually high quality data? And like, what are some factors that you're using to evaluate that high quality data and maybe what you're doing about it? I, I love that question because I really think the vast majority of the data coming out of the farm is pretty high quality. Yield map growers that are paying attention to their yield monitors and their yield maps. Just about everyone has woken up to the idea of, hey, we actually need to take some time to make sure this is calibrated. Uh, I Just this year, I had a grower get done with a thousand acres of soybeans. He was off a total of like 43 bushels on his total count versus what went across the scale. That's doing, that's doing a great job. Uh, I have a number of other growers I work with that, you know, they're 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 keeping pretty good tabs on it other data types that's that's what's been a lot you know the planting data is very high quality right now it's incredibly dense it's almost too dense you know we're getting five hertz readings by 24 rows by 40 different attributes you go plant a quarter section that might be 50 megs almost 100 megs worth of data might be more than that 
Uh, we're getting really high dense. That's good information. Um, grid soil samples. That's you know that's a good data set as long as we know that it, the sampling method in the field was good. And it's you know good qualified sampler out in the field taking good samples. You still have some room for error at the lab. You might have you know he might have hit a cow pie. He might have hit a ammonia band. Uh, that's going to flag. Well, once we get our maps back, we go. What's the? You know, we've got flyer points here. Why do I have zero parts? Why do I have zero phosphorus right here? Well, that doesn't make sense. Or why do I have six hundred parts per million phosphorus right here? So, by and large, I really do. A lot of the data coming off the farm now is pretty good, and especially especially with the folks that are paying attention to realizing that it's part of the management of their enterprise. That's great to hear. That is great to hear. So right now while we're recording this podcast, we're sitting here in the middle of October. Um, so what exactly is is Premier Crop busy with this time of year uh, as they you know are performing services for farmers? Um, good question. It's you know with as quick as harvest has progressed uh, this this time of year, we've got a big focus on good sampling. We have a lot of partners. Partners that make grid sample anywhere from 100,000 to 200,000 acres every single fall. So we're getting that data pulled in so they can get ready to uh, uh, make make their variable rate prescription voted for fall or spring applications. Um, this time of year, from a grower perspective, we are making sure we've got all of our season data collected. We know what's happened to that field from a fertility, chemical, seeding, everything aspect. Because really, at the end of the season, once we capture that yield map, that's our end of the year report card. Our a lot of our analysis is driven off of having that yield map at the end of the year. So, a few different moving pieces. Harvest has moved rather quickly. Uh, with some of the cloud solutions, we try to pull uh, yield data as actively in real time as possible, just to keep things up to date, make sure we're ready. And once we have that, we can start generating results and begin having making a evaluate how we did this year and b start making plans for next year awesome so that leads right into the next uh topic or kind of area what you've talked about the soil sampling and this report card type of thing but can you talk a little bit about some of these services that premier crop offers we back from a lot of partners that uh run their own run their own precision programs our term, you know, we have Premier Precision, Premier Decision. We also have what we call Premier Intelligence uh, that gets incorporated within Premier Decision. When we talk about Premier Precision, we're talking about uh, the ability for growers, growers or retail partners to enter their soil samples, their spatial soil samples, and generate variable rate fertility prescriptions. Um, when we get into Premier Decision, we start talking about our full analytics package. Um, and that's you know, again, driven, tracking all the agronomics, uh, incorporating spatial soil samples, all flat rate and variable rate applied fertility, all of our chemical. Um, you do incorporate a year's worth of weather, the soil maps, the surveil maps. Essentially, the way, the way I talk about it, anything that happens to that field or has a potential impact on that field, if it happens to the field, we can check mark that or account for it. Um, account for it within the system. That's what falls under premier decision. 
Um, we also have, you know, growers, growers love to experiment, growers love to trial. Uh, about five years ago, we developed a concept called enhanced learning blocks, which is actually a randomized and replicated trial built into a prescription within the field. Uh, so we have a randomized complete block built in and we can say we want to put that exactly here and we can use that to test anything from seeding rates, fertility rates, on off treatments. Uh, say you want to do an on-off fungicide trial, an on-off starter trial. We can do that, but be able to also tie statistical confidence back to that, back to those yield values at the end of the season. So that's kind of the buckets of, um, you know, services or products that we offer within the system. But you know, it's really about comprehensive farm management and helping growers make more informed, insightful decisions off from data that's coming off of their own farms. So in terms of that comprehensive farm management, is there a particular aspect of the farm management that growers tend to find um, the most useful for them? Or is it just generally the, the entire package that farmers buy into all the way? Um, it's really case by case. One thing I forgot to touch on there, you know, you asked profitability mapping. Um, for some growers, it, it's really about meeting growers where they're at in case by case. If it's someone who's never taken a spatial soil sample, we need to get them started on that path. We can still measure profitability and especially field variability across the farm, but if we're really going to start refining management, we need to get, we want to be able to understand what that spatial fertility looks like. If we've been yield mapping and doing a good job with that, we understand where our spatial productivity is. We tie economics to that. We can actually generate a map field by field that is break-even cost per bushel across that field. Where that becomes a lot more powerful, a lot more powerful is if we start assigning management zones within that field. We can show field after field after field. Say we have an A zone, B zone, and a C zone, where we might have an overall higher per acre spend in our A zone, but our break-even cost per bushel was much less than in our C zone. And another really fun thing that we've done, we spent most of 2019 developing out is what we call a yield efficiency score. And yield efficiency score at the, at the core of it is a dollar per acre return to land and management. That if I take the sum, take my yield times a benchmark selling price, less my fertility, my chemical, my seed, my operations input costs, I have a dollar per acre return to land and management. And that's a metric that instantly clicks with growers because they now understand if I have $400 per acre for my yield efficiency score on this field, whereas my whole lot maybe on my corn enterprise, I have $400 per acre left over to pay for my rent and to pay for management. And the reason we went this way with this metric is some items that fall under that management um, can be hard numbers to define, and some growers may or may not be willing to share 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 that information because it can be very sensitive. You know, management costs might be how much you spend on crop insurance, depending on it also might be household living expenses, and that changes significantly grower to grower. By and large, our, our advisors have very close relationships with with our growers. We we're privy to that information, you know, the home or not the home place, you know, the East place we're paying X dollars per acre cash rent. So we know what that figure is, but that yield efficiency metric really is 
really is a good benchmark for that grower to be able to compare their fields, all their fields together and really understand where profit is coming on their farm. When you talk about capturing the soil variability or the spatial variability with soil samples, is grid sampling the predominant way to soil sample or do you guys move into zone sampling later on after you've done? Just out of curiosity, like what's the most common soil sampling technique? I would, great question. I get asked, probably my most asked question of the fall. Um, in my experience, what I've seen in Nebraska predominantly Spatial samples are grid soil samples, uh, typically at two and a half acre grids. Uh, there is zone sample, and this you this is kind of an age-old debate. This almost goes all the way back to the early 90s. Um, my two cents on it, I still call a two and a half acre grid sample one of the most foundational, just good fundamental precision pieces to have on your farm. Uh, there are cases where a tighter resolution, maybe a 1.5 or 1.1 acre grid. I've actually seen some quarter acre grids on like a quarter section. That's a lot of samples. Um, you do, you have ink at a two and a half acre grid. The reason I'm, I like that so much, it just fits a lot of scenarios. It provides us enough agronomic resolution to really get a good idea of what's happening in the field. Also being, you know, cost friendly to the grower. Uh, you know, going from 2.5 acres to 1.1 acre grids potentially adds five to, depending on the provider, five to ten dollars an acre in sample costs. The reason I like grid sampling better than uh, zone sampling, uh, and it varies. You, know, so you got to be care a little careful with it. There is some good zone sampling out there as long as you have enough samples. You're taking enough true sample points across that field to get good resolution. Um, we've done a number of case studies with some other with some partners over the years, and just too often a zone sample is a way to very slightly reduce your sample cost by and pulling significantly less soil from the field, actually collecting less physical soil and having less information to really make good decisions on. Um, you know, last time we ran the numbers on it. If you think a two and a half acre grid sample, you'd say ballpark's about $10 per acre. Historically, we look at that as being valid for four years. Um, I probably, you know, predominantly running about a three year cycle on a grid sample. We're spending 250 to maybe $3 per acre per year. You run that against a crop enterprise budget, almost 90%, 99% of the time, that's gonna be less than 1%. That $3 per acre is less than 1% of our total spend on that field in a given year. And I really challenge growers is what information are we using to make that $100 an acre, $200 an acre fertility decision? Um, the, other, the other aspect I like about grid sampling, it's, you know, it's an objective approach to the field. We're not biasing our sampling regimen. Um, there can be, again, there can be good zone samples out there. Um, too often, and especially, I don't know if it's so much still happening today, but too often a zone sample was, well, what's the easiest, what's the most accessible data layer out there? It's the Servo Maps. Um, so growers or consultants or advisors want to come out and take a zone sample on a the field. They're, they're carving up the zones before we've taken a single 
taking a single core out of the field. And so essentially we've introduced bias into our sampling protocol before we've even taken a single sample. Uh, Moro, and this is out of another case study, uh, it was zones by soil type. You know, take, take a number of cores out of a specific uh, soil type zone or take a number of cores out of a single zone arrive at a single, maybe a single soil fertility value or a single soil test. So across all, you know, your NPK, pH, sulfur, zinc, that you're assigning to maybe a 15 or 20 acre zone. Um, that's, that's the kicker right there. We're assigning one or two values for an entire zone that might be a large area of the field. You go take a higher density sample and you'll see there's variability within that zone. Um, it can be pretty significant. You can have two-point swings in pH. You can have 20 part per million swings in phosphorus. And that's that's just the type of thing that you, you don't pick up with the zones, zone sample in a lot of cases. It's uh, with the zone sample, growers are slightly lowering the cost. They might be saving 2 or $3 an acre by doing a zone sample. But the amount of information that comes back from it is... Uh, far less than what we get with the grid sample. What are some of the biggest challenges that you've faced in terms of trying to match up these high resolution data sets like imagery, for example, your you know medium level resolution like yield and maybe your soil sampling data, which is probably at your lowest resolution. What are your challenges in matching up data layers at these different resolutions and then managing at a, a basically composite resolution, so to speak? A couple items there. So yeah, I well in term in relative terms, yes, an image is going to be an image is going to be a lot more high resolution than a two and a half acre grid sample. Um, I'd probably say the crudest or the coarsest resolution we have is within the actual U.S. the circle maps, SCS circle maps. That's probably the coarsest coarsest data. That's that's not very well validated, and especially in Nebraska particular areas in Nebraska, we've spent 50 years moving it around so we can irrigate better. Um, so that is always kind of an iffy data layer. Uh, but in simple terms, it really comes down when we mesh this together as to what, you know, at the end of the day, regardless if we're taking we have a pixel per foot or a yield reading, a yield reading every second, I have to have that information and something that can be usable and most importantly executable by a machine. So even though we have a, say we have a pixel per foot of this image, we're not going to be able to get a fertilizer applicator or even a planter to execute at that sort of level. So we do need to, the meshing is actually not as difficult as you might think. Um, it's really about getting it more in an executable form for making a management decision or application change. As a consultant working with a precision ag data company, we want to get your thoughts on the value of farm data, both the value directly to a farmer and the value of the data when aggregated across a region. In my opinion, farm data is only as valuable, is only, as worth, is only worth as much as the gain it creates for the individual grower that came from. Uh, raw yield data, raw planting data sitting out there somewhere, in my opinion, does not have a inherent value in and of itself. It has to be used, has to be able to be used for some sort of insightful decision. 
the second aspect of that is as growers explore data management and things like that is being selective about your partner. Uh, what I've, since 2012, uh, Climate Corporate, or excuse me, Monsanto purchased this company called the Climate Corporation. And there was a tidal wave of big data hype and a lot of venture capital that poured into the industry. At this point now, we filtered out some of, you know, we filtered out some of the companies that were underperforming, it will say. Uh, just, I, I caution growers to be aware of how companies intend to use their information, how they intend to use that data. Uh, what's their privacy policy? Does that data become, does that, your data become their data once they aggregate it with others? It's something to be mindful of, but the overall value of the data really comes down to, can I use my data in a meaningful way that's going to benefit me? Uh, there isn't going to be a data auction. Well, maybe that <laughs> I don't foresee a data auction in the near future, but I get, you know, that could always change. <laughs> Some partner programs involved with Premier Crop, you know, on our data, data privacy, data policy, we sign off all the way through and our partners sign off all the way through that the grower owns the data. Uh, we do have aggregation methods within the system. We build things up from the ground up, being able to look spatially, how yield changes across each individual field. At 10,000 feet, being able to look at an entire farm, and then at 30,000 feet, a regional group. And we can carve groups within the system to begin asking questions like, what was what was yield by hybrid? Yield by hybrid by plant date. Yield by hybrid by plant date by maturity. You know, yield by hybrid by soil test phosphorus, uh, row spacing, fungicide, fungicide timing, nitrogen rate, nitrogen timing. So, and it, growers love being able to see beyond their own farm, but you also have to have, you also have to be able to verify and prove that this reliable information. I guess when you think about potential ways that data can be used in aggregate, I mean, have you seen any traction with specific technologies, specific data mining technologies, machine learning, uh, and overcoming some of that data quality piece? I mean, at, at what resolution is it appropriate to be applying some of these machine learning techniques? Uh, is it sub-regionally? Is it regionally? Is it nationally? I, I can probably just really speak to some of the things we're doing at Premier. Um, I would say when it comes to aggregation, it, again, it all starts at ground level. You can't you know, you got to be able to ensure you have quality data at the absolute lowest level before you can start aggregating it up the chain. Um, one of the things that we've been working on the last couple of years uh, since we've introduced enhanced learning blocks, those randomized replicated trials, uh, we've begun using some machine learning to aggregate those results because we know we have statistical quality data behind them. Uh, and it's something that we'll be, we're looking at in terms of what we're going to call next gen RX. And it's at a uh, sub eco region type of type of grouping, being able to analyze, characterize uh, like agronomic environments. Uh, you know, we, from our management zone perspective, we talked about A zones, B zones, and C zones. Well, guess what? Not all A zones are created equally. This yield is not created equally. A zones are not created equally. Uh, A zones, A zones are A zones in different fields for different reasons. So, I, I can really probably just speak to what we've been doing, and that is um, really just trying to characterize like agronomic environments. Uh, again, to provide that benefit back to the grower, 
again, tying back into that data main, data privacy piece, uh, we will, we really look at it as, you know, the grower, this is the grower's information, this is the grower's data for the vehicle to help transform that that raw data into something that's actionable, actionable in the field. Um, I'm really excited about this next question. We've talked a lot about where we currently are with data management and what you guys are doing as a company. But thinking about the future, what do you see as the future of data management? So a couple things that come to mind for us with conversations we've had. Will it be used for transparency with consumers? Will it help us manage land better? I know a lot of people are striving for carbon neutral or carbon negative farms. What do you see as the future of data management and how we're going to use that data? Um, I, I would say a lot of it is that's happening right now. Uh, variable rate applications. We variable rate applications in most of our fertility. We can be a lot more resource efficient and prove that we're maintaining or even more higher yielding or more and or more profitable using that uh, using variable rate technologies. Uh, sustainability is something uh, that ties directly into the sustainability discussion. We can prove that growers are being more efficient. Uh, actually, and even within enhanced learning blocks. Uh, and some of the nitrogen data, we can prove what the optimum nitrogen rate is on a field versus what might be a statewide nutrient, comprehensive nutrient management plan directive. Uh, actually, Dr. Jeremy McGrath at the University of Kentucky has a great presentation and some slides on uh, what's the, envir the environmentally optimum nitrogen rate or phosphorus rate and the crop optimum nitrogen or phosphorus rate. Guess what? They're different. And that's, you start meshing the world of what, uh, you know, walking the line between livelihood and potential regulations. And that's best management practices are usually the foundation for future regulation. Uh, so helping growers, A, be sustainable, more efficient in their own farms, but also be able to prove, statistically, scientifically prove that what they're doing is working and also good for the environment. I would say uh, some of that's happening right now. What you said about the nitrogen, that is, I don't think you could have said it any better. You know, we talk about that stuff all the time. Both of our research is in nitrogen management and how you said that was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's trying to understand environmental costs, the actual farm costs, social costs. I mean, it, there's so many different ways that you can frame what an optimal nitrogen rate is uh, and also frame <laughs> sustainability. You know, yeah. that's, that's a conversation we've had many times. Yeah. So. <laughs> all right, Mike, the last question. What piece of advice do you have for our listeners um, that you want to leave them with? I've got I've got three good bullet points here. Number one, growers out there, put your data to work for you. There's a number of things you can learn by objectively diving into your data. If you don't know how to do that, do reach out, seek help. There are a lot of good folks in the industry that can really make sense of data. Uh, rule number two: there is no easy button. There is no silver bullet. A virus map is not going to solve all your problems. A tissue sample is not going to solve all your problems. A grid sample, um, hydraulic downforce is not going to solve all your problems. There's not a silver bullet out there. Uh, but it is about accumulating all the different pieces of the puzzle and being able to get them in a form that, well, really gets them in a form that you're able to make sense of. Uh, agronomy is complex. It's not about trying to simplify the complexity. It's about making it easier to execute. Actually understand that complexity, but also be able to execute a plan 
easier without removing the simplicity, uh, removing the complexity. So uh, I encourage growers to, you know, work with a good trusted advisor, work with somebody of, you know, to bring objective results to the table. A lot of times when I sit down with growers for the first time, we look at what we call a field top 10 report, correlation to dry yield, all of our different, here's the different, here's six different buckets of yield. As our yield changed across the entire field, what trends are we seeing and that's across our soil tests, across our fertility, whether that's flat rate applied or variable rate applied. And it can be very eye-opening to say, aha, that's exactly why that field does that. So I really do I encourage growers, put your data to work for you, um, get it in an organized fashion. And again, back to that data as a commodity, how much is my data worth? Uh, I again say it's only worth as much as how it's going to help you directly, help you make better decisions, help you manage your own farm better. Thank you to Mike Manning for joining us to discuss the importance of using multiple data layers to quantify the soil spatial variability that drives yield outcomes. We covered quite a few different bases in this episode, but the concepts covered are important as we proceed through this series of episodes that will cover a variety of data layers that contribute to characterizing spatial variability. One aspect of this episode that really stood out to me is Mike's perspective that working with data across multiple resolutions has become pretty straightforward for growers and advisors using modern digital agriculture platforms. I think this is really a testament to how far we have come with automation and the quality of Premier Crops platform that challenging computational processes are now executable with just the click of a button. That's enabled use of this data for management purposes at broad scales, which is really exciting for growers out there who benefit from these technologies. Absolutely. My favorite part of this episode was Mike explaining management zone delineation, and then more importantly, how not all like A zones are created equally. So comparing zones between farms is not an effective way to aggregate results to find trends of products or practices. Mike explained, like many of our speakers have, the importance of on-farm trials to find what works for your specific fields, and then being sure to use that quality data to analyze the results. And it sounds like if that interests you, that Premier Crop will help you with all of that. For sure. <laughs> and so we look forward to you joining us next week as we continue in this series of episodes on quantifying soil spatial variability, as we hear from various technologies, as they're going to discuss the technology and benefits of on-the-go soil mapping. Thank you for taking the time to join us today on the Farm Bits Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts to be informed about the latest content each week. We welcome your feedback. So if you have comments or questions for us, please reach out to us over email, on Twitter, or in the review section of your favorite podcast platform. Our contact information can be found in the show notes. We would like to thank Nebraska Extension for their support of this podcast and their commitment to providing high-quality informational material to members of the agricultural community in Nebraska and beyond. The opinions expressed by the hosts and guests on this podcast are solely their own and do not reflect the views of Nebraska Extension or the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. We look forward to you joining us next week for another episode of Farm Bits.